Welcome to Blue State Conversations. This is our place to discuss the political theory from all sides, bridging the political divides that split our society. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's Blue State Conversations. Now you here, and I have a guest with me today. I'll have him pronounce his name for everybody, just so I don't mess it up. No, you're good, Matthew. Well, my name is Jocelyn Jameson, S-O-S-L-A-N-T-E-M-A-N-S-1. Most people just call me Saz. Saz, okay. So we'll go. Yep. We'll, so Sauslin Timenson. Yep. Perfect. I always because I know I'll, I'll I know I'll mess that up. So uh, Sauslin, uh, he was born in Russia and he was surrendered to an orphanage at birth. Uh, he was then adopted by a family from Oregon, and uh, two hours after leaving with his new parents, the orphanage was bombed by Georgia. So this was back during the, the Georgia-Russia War. And after moving to America, Sosslin experienced many challenges as he joined the Air Force and later started a hospice ministry called Meet You at the Finish Line. Uh, Sosslin credits his incredible life story and desire to fight for freedom to the influence and protection of God. So thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, no problem. Thank you so much, by the way. You know, I could truly not be here if it was without God. You know, I, I give him 100% credit because there were so many instances in my life where I could have just given up easily. One of the big ones that I look back on, if I would have given up and I was paralyzed for four months, if I would have just given up, I would not be here. You know, there was a moment where I'm like, I just wanted to give up because how can a 20-year-old at that time go from being very healthy to being like having like a, a four, 450 miles, being very athletic and fit to be almost at the death door, yeah. you know? And the biggest question I had to ask, ask God is like, why? You know, what did I do wrong that this happened but then I found out in my retrospect, I found out when I looked back and pondering my time that I really got complacent on my walk with God. You know, I got complacent and I said, man, how lazy was I? You know, and it's not that just, it's not like, you know, I was like lazy in my life, but like my faith was being stagnant, you know, and, you know, this is one of the downfalls that we have in America where too many of us are too comfortable. Yes. You know, and that comfortability then leads to trials and tribulation. And that trial, we don't know how to handle it. And that's why I started that a suicide prevention program while I was in the Air Force. And that's another story for another day. Wow. So, so well, I, I guess we can kind of start, you know, you, you mentioned some of the you know, foremost being paralyzed and all that stuff. So I'm sure that we want to flesh some of that out. So why don't we start a little bit more? So you were born in Russia. Yep. Vladikast of Russia, which is 15 minutes away from Georgia. Georgia, the country. Yeah, I, I remember when that war happened, and a lot of people thought Russia had attacked um, the state Georgia, and it was a very entertaining 24 hours online. But um, so Georgia, the country, and so what, how long were you there? Like how like how many year, years of your life did you spend there? So I actually I was born uh, in Russia. Um, I was born in October 7, 1998, and I came to America in 2000, uh, 2006. So about when I was eight. Okay, so you're about eight and a half years old. So spent eight eight years there, and so you were surrendered to an orphanage at birth. Yep, I was surrendered to an orphanage at birth, and it was because, according to my documentation, it was because my aunt couldn't afford uh, to have me and stuff. And we don't, there's not really a signal of a father in the birth records. We don't really have a father figure, which is okay. Um, and I think it was God's plan all along to make sure that I was not, to make sure that He wanted. Know, protect me and stuff, and I think that's why I was giving up more information immediately. Hmm. 
And then, so, so how did you come to America? So I came to America by, um, I came to America when I, in 2006, and it was not your average rescue, it was more of a rescue mission. Because the family that came over there, came to Vladikavkov, Russia, they went to adopt one girl. But instead, they ended up adopting four boys and three girls. Because orphanage is like, take as many kids as you can. <laughs> and so, the reason, I think the reason why they did that is because they knew that none of the kids were going to have a chance in life. And I was the oldest one actually at the orphanage. And as a matter of fact, I was not even supposed to be in the orphanage. I was supposed to be a Moscow major weapon. Wow. Um, because the Russian military was so desperate that they would take young boys and, and young women uh, into the military and make them weapons because they had tiny hands and stuff. And it's all that brainwashing that starts off. Now in America, how it starts off is by universities. That's when the really brainwashing starts, you know. Um, but over there, they, they, they take you as kids. And that's how they do. Yep. And okay. they take, and that's how, that's how I kind of paralyze it. Um, and so they take it by kids. And, um, and because of my health and because I wasn't that well during that time, uh, I was not going to be, I stayed at the orphanage. Hmm. Um, and most of my time was just sitting there doing nothing. And it was like scrounging for food and just like literally living, like living day to day. And I didn't know if I was going to make it one day or day after another. And so the family, they were actually from England. Uh, their father was in Princess Diana at the Royal Guard. And that's how he actually ended oh. up in that part of Russia. Because Americans were not allowed to be in that part of the country. They were prohibited. And so they had dual citizenship, and that's what got them into the Vladikast of Russia. And when they landed, they landed, and the Russian military went on the plane that if anyone's American, show your documentation. So all of them had to show their documentation. And if there were any Americans, they said that they were arrested on the spot. And so, long story short, they get to the hotel. The hotel is bombed. Half of the hotel is bombed. The other half is still the prostitutes running away from the police officers and running away from the military. And they didn't have power or any electricity whatsoever. And so each time they had to go to the orphanage, they went, uh, they went to a different route. And so because of that, uh, since they went to a different route, they went and uh, they finally went to the orphanage and apparently my smile, which I didn't know how to smile back then, <laughs> I smiled when I kind of persuaded them to adopt me. And it wasn't even an adoption at that point anymore, it was more of a refuge. So we actually escaped to the orphanage. And that's what really happened. Wow. That's unbelievable. That's and I had smallpox at the same time. Smallpox? So, wow, that's something you don't, yeah. you don't hear that very often anymore. Not smallpox. I'm sorry about that. No, it's not smallpox. Chickenpox. Chickenpox. Chicken okay. All right. I that's a little so bit different. About that. I was about to yeah, say. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. No. I'm so sorry about that. No. I had chickenpox during that whole time of transit. And now you imagine. You thought COVID was bad coming back with COVID. I'm glad that we didn't have COVID at that time. Or I would not be here. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh. So. Yeah. Well, that's so. All right. So you, you finally make it to America, uh, and then I was reading a little bit about what you were saying beforehand. You ended up going into the United States Army, but then you joined the Air Force. So how, how did that kind of play out? How did you decide on that? So I went to the United States Army Depth Program, which is your delayed entry program. Okay. And so because of that, I knew it was more of retaliation of being mad at my parents. Um, because I thought when you turn 18, you can do anything you want. I was mistakenly wrong. Um, 
And it was more of a backlash. It was more being a pig-headed because um, I thought I knew everything. And so I'm like, well, I'm just going there. Army reserves, you know, not knowing the consequences. The moment that I put down uh, the pamphlet on my parents' bed, uh, saying, hey, well, you're a proud parent of an army soldier, something like that, you know, proud son of an army or whatever. Right. Um, seeing that reaction just made me, seeing their reaction, I thought, I could, you know, I thought they'd be proud, but no, they were, they were sad. Um, because I did on my birthday. And not only did I do it on my birthday, but I told them I was going to go for a job. And I went to the Army Reserve Recruiting Center. So I didn't, not only did I go for a job, but I changed my life, course of action. Um, and seeing them, because I, seeing, seeing the reaction, seeing what I did, and how, you know, I really let them down. It was pretty much a, like a, not a middle finger, but I was pretty much letting them, I just put them there, uh, for all the hard work they put in and the time and the investment they did. And I just, that's how I thanked them. And it was not more of a think it out process. And what helped me during that time was, um, over time, I said, hey, you know what? I didn't like being an army reserve. I didn't like the way I was getting treated. I didn't like the way things were going about it. So <clears throat> I also didn't like the names I was being called by. Uh, I didn't like getting called the Russian communist. I didn't like being discriminated towards. So I kind of asked my dad, I said, hey, can I have help getting me out of the army reserve? Well, therefore, it went really nasty, that whole process. And then I got to see the other part of the army that I didn't, I didn't ask for. Uh, and it's a moment they're all, I say, the recruiters are all nice and dandy until you get hooked, line, and sink. Yeah, and until you've signed, once you've signed, then they got you. Yeah, and then once you try to get out, then they're not so happy. Then they make your life miserable. So it took, and it took us all the way to the, uh, the army, army general, army reserve general out of Milwaukee. And he said, oh, we are so sorry how we treated you. The recruiters treated you, and we're so sorry that they said, said that horrible things about you. So mm-hmm. we're going to give you an opportunity. We're going to get you out, and we're just going to say that you know, nothing happened. There was no record, no nothing. So you're pretty much, you started off with nothing, and you ended up with nothing. Mm-hmm. So I knew I still wanted to join the military, and I knew that I wanted to you know, serve our country. But this time around, I went and I... I took some time with God and I prayed and I prayed with him and I said, Okay, God, I need guidance and therefore I brought with my parents uh some guidance and I had some actual help and this time around when I joined the Air Force, it was both of my family's agreement. Uh we both agreed and we were all on the same page. Oh wow. So this time, you know, your parents were behind it one hundred percent. Uh yes. Until uh, I left for basic and I remember leaving Milwaukee Maps. And I was about to cry, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to leave. And, and, and sure enough, I, you know, I love flying, by the way. Um, I flew a lot, you know, being under, uh, being under campaigning for President Trump. I, I flew a lot. I had to fly a lot for working, uh, working on behalf of the Republican Party. But it was funny because the worst flight that I've ever taken in my life, I would have to stay was from. And it was worse this time around because I knew I was paralyzed from the neck down, going from uh, – Tokyo, Japan, all the way to San Antonio. That wasn't quite as bad as going to uh, Milwaukee to Minneapolis and then Minneapolis to San Antonio. Hey, that was one of the worst flights I have ever taken. And you, <laughs> and and the funny part was that was the most time I spent time reading my Bible. And I was like, I didn't want to close my Bible. And thank goodness I had my Bible and they allowed me to keep the Bible. Or I don't know what I would have done. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I'm actually quite terrified of flying. I have a fear of heights, so flying is, you know, a lot of heights. So I, I actually 
do not do well with flying, um, and, which is funny because my, my my wife loves flying. And so, um, all right, so you, you you join the Air Force, and this is kind of your first organization that you found in the Air Force, right? You so you started a suicide prevention program. So the suicide prevention program. So I take you know mental health very serious, and I take suicide very serious because I think. You know, as being children of God, I think that we have to, you know, God gives us a plan. And this is where my, this is where I kind of found, kicked off my, remember, God loves you, you know, we get the finish line. You know, as being a cross country, but I think the most, more importantly, I looked at uh, suicide and I said, you know, why is the suicide rate going so high? And if you want to talk about the treatment of the military, we'll save that for another day, how the military really treats, really treats people once they start catching on. We can do that for another day because that, I mean, how I got treated once that suicide prevention program started, it was just astronomical. It was not needed. Uh, but it started off by having this master sergeant at Shepherd Air Force Base. He committed suicide, and he left with uh, three kids, and he was an EOD instructor. And so he, and he was about in his mid-30s, and he just something happened where he just didn't want to, you know, stay to live. And so hmm. I'm like, what can I do? And and, what, and during this time, I failed HVAC. And so I was in the process of getting out of those. Well, I was given at a pinnacle point at getting to a fork in the road where I would have had to get in front of the board. And the board, the Air Force board, would have asked, why should we keep you in the military? And so I knew that board was coming up, and I knew that was going to be a matter of days. So what happened was, and I knew I was so devastated leaving HVAC because that's what I trained for, and that's what I was working for, and that's what my recruiter worked hard for uh, getting me that job. And so I was like, Shepard. So instead of just, you know, once bailing the class and stuff, I was like, oh, I'm just going to just do nothing for the day. I uh, just do central quarters watch every single day at night, just because I love doing central quarters watch at nighttime. I said, I'm going to do something productive in my in the meantime. And so I was, I looked around and I knew that uh, people were missing home and that you had young recruits coming out to the base. And so this suicide really picked up, you know, the suicide, and we had multiple within our squads and stuff, because, you know, I'm going to change it up. I said, how can I impact people? But at the same time, when I formulated the suicide prevention program, I had to formulate it as an underground ministry as well. You know, I'd say, well, you know, you're not alone because you're a children of God. God loves you so much. And he, he cares for you. It's not just only people. You know, might not seem at this moment. And <clears throat> so what happened was, it started off as a letter came. You know, it started off as reaching out to schools, public schools around the area, and even in the hometown, and even around uh, around the state, and just around the general public. We had letters from hospitals, from schools, from churches, and just from the public uh, pouring into the minutes, pouring into our the movement. And it's a that was the first part of the movement. It was reaching out to uh, them by through letters. The second part of the movement. That I was starting to notice was that how can we incorporate what we're going on and saying the importance of you know what having our instructors once a month at least doing a picnic or doing a gathering where they're not in their uniforms you know where they're just being friendly or where they're just like you see the other see the other side of them you know mm -hmm. it's not being so cutthroat so we just said hey um, let's shoot for this and sure enough what happened was that we had a big picnic and you know it was a fantastic. Uh, the trainees and the tech school students got to see the other half that we would normally 
did not see during the week. And so it's just interesting how, you know, they're just people too, you know. That's, and that's what really kicked off. And it was really, it was a very successful thing. When I left the base, uh, the people were very sad to see me go, like, you know what, you impacted our lives. And we, because of that, we're going to do this yearly. We've changed how we approach things, how we approach suicide. You know, it's not just, you know, oh, you have an health problem. Oh, we're just going to kick you out because you have a mental health problem. No, it's because we're going to incorporate spending time and, you know, choosing out certain people. Mm. You know, it's a, it's very interesting. I loved it, you know, but it was very challenging. And I think, you know, some people agree with it. I had some counteractions. Uh, a lot of people thought it was just, a, a lot of people thought I was just wanting to be, wanted to do it for attention and wanted to do it so I can look good, but it had, that was not the purpose of it. You know, if I wanted Think well, it's looking at just go. Hey, let's do some kind of big party, and you know, right? Yeah, yeah, you would. Yeah, you don't need to start a whole organization to look good. That's not (laughs) more work than needed. But so you you end up you end up staying in the Air Force, and you end up um, going to Japan. So were you deployed? So you became a member of the Air Force. Yep. So I grad. So what happened was after Shepard, I went to Lackland Air Force Base, where I got I actually succeeded. In my job title, which was fleet management analysis, and then, you know, the funny part was, you know, during tech school they ask you what bases do you want, and so they ask you for, you know, they give you eight, you know, they give you eight bases, uh, eight choices where you want to go, and they give you three overseas bases where you want to go. Okay, so if you're in the military, most people dread going to Miami, North Dakota. You know, most people dread that. Most people dread going to like New Mexico or even. You know, places that are not so touristy. Right. Yeah. Well, not, I, not fun places, right? Now. No. And the funny part was, I put mine in North Dakota as my number one base because I love outdoors. I'm a big outdoors guy. I put mine in North Dakota as number one. Well, in a heartbeat, if I was Air Force, I'd be like, oh, wow, you really want to go there? What? Pack your bags. Well, yeah. we'll send you for it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, instead, I got Tokyo, Japan. Out of, I don't know how I got that. I got Tokyo, Japan. I'm like, how did, how in the world did I get that? I didn't put Tokyo. I didn't put any of it down. <laughs> oh, wow. So, you know? Yeah, and you think a lot of people would want Tokyo because you get to you know, go visit a foreign country and it's yeah, kind of a safe funny, country. Yeah, and the funny part is a lot of people put Tokyo down. And a lot of people don't get Tokyo because there's so much. There's so many, like, you know, they give priority to people. Well, I think apparently what happened was the only reason I think I got Tokyo and stuff was because uh, I was in the Army Reserve Death Program. I didn't know that, you know, how you get, they give you more of a priority, you know, they can say, hey, you know, you actually have some some experience that, you know, but I reemphasize that, you no, know, I did serve in the Army Reserve. I received a CAT card from the Army Reserve, but according to the Air Force protocol, that's technically called serving, and that's technically called retiree service, and I didn't want that because I knew that was going to be, and I knew that was going to offer um, that that's where I said that unintended consequences. You know, when we, you know, when it comes to our faith and stuff, and when it came to my faith, that little action that I did with my parents that had long-term consequences. What I did on my birthday and aging that had long-term consequences. And I think that's where God tells us, you know, well, you might be good at your life right now, but wait till wait till like you know, life is doing good. You're going overseas in Japan, and next thing you know, you're going to get a storm that you were formulating a long time ago, thought that you were out of it, but then surprise, you know. <laughs> right. So, so you make it to Japan, and then this is where really uh, uh, kind of the big event 
happens, right? So you know, you, you were paralyzed for four months. So why don't you just give kind of the background of how that happened and just how so that how that happened was okay. So there is so there was much more underlying cause of it. Uh, there was there was much more to it than just being paralyzed. Um, long story short, um, we can do this on another podcast or something like that. How the real reason why I think I became paralyzed. So long story short was that apparently if you're born in Russia and stuff, that does not mix very well. Uh, and I also learned that from, you know, the bullying does not stop just, you know, just because you join the military, it only gets worse. Um, and I know that, and I knew that coming into it, but I didn't know it was going to be this bad. So every night I come home, I would cry. I said, why did I join the military if I was going to be treated like this? And I would get called nasty names. I could call the Russian Jew or Russian communist. And it just kept on. And I got criticized for riding a bicycle, and I would I bought a bicycle because you know you don't want to own a car in Japan. And I heard that the first big mistake people make is buying a car. You know, mm-hmm. once you buy a car, that's like because cars are so expensive in Japan. If you want to talk about gas prices, their gas prices are like nine twenty nine a gallon. You know, um, because it's like they're in the middle of the ocean, pretty much, and they're actually island, and they take so much of it. But <clears throat> what happened was I I said you know there's I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I wasn't feeling so hot during that day. It was October 2nd of 2019. I wasn't feeling good the whole entire day. And so I said, you know, I'm not feeling good. Um, and so I kind of asked a buddy of mine to drive me home. And that would, I did not know it was going to be my last time being at the office. Um, and so I asked my buddy to drive home. And then I had a, a buddy of mine. He's like, hey, you know, you should come to Bible study. I said, nah, I'm not feeling so good. And then I ended up caving in. I said, yeah, okay, I'll go to Bible study. You know, I'll, I'll see where I'll go to Bible study. I know I'm not going to be myself. And I knew, yeah, I was, you know, I was going to be, not just going to, I was going to be quiet during that time. And I went to Bible study. And then apparently my pastor there, off base chapter, off base pastor, he's like, man, you do not look good at all. You look like you're ashy colored. Now, I did not know that my body turned, like I was starting to go down very quick. Uh, starting to fade. So during that whole Bible study at that two and a half hours from six o'clock to eight thirty, um, I was feeling not so hot. Um, I was starting to go down, and you know my eyes started looking pretty gray. I was starting to like lose consciousness, to go in and go out. So then Bible study got done, and somebody's like, "Are you feeling good?" I'm like, "Yeah, no, I'm not feeling good. I feel like I'm more soft now than I, you know, came here first of all." So then like, "Well, why don't we just go home and?" And, you know, my buddy of mine, he helped me and stuff because I'm like, you know, I need some help standing up. And it was odd how I needed help the first time. And so I stood up and he, with his help and I just clapped on the ground. You know, I said, okay, I, maybe that's, maybe I stood up for this. Maybe I had vertigo. Right. Um, and I said, all right, let's try this again. But I need more help this time. And so, but this, the second time around, I said, okay, you know, it's been hard for me to stand up. It's not, it's just getting impossible for me to stand up at this point. And so uh, I stood up about three more different times. And then the fourth time, like, you know what? The fourth time was just the big one, um, which was I just became unconscious and my body was completely uh, paralyzed. Um, and, then this, and then it didn't stop there. Like, I had functionality of my intestines and I had functionality, but then it slowly went to where my stomach stopped going and stuff. And any food that I would eat would not go down in my. I'd all come back up and stuff. That's how bad it was. I had completely shut down on my body. Um, I had a kid. I had to shut it down on my kidney because I lost complete memory. 
Um, and I didn't. And that's what I found out about your kidneys. Uh, if you have something wrong with your kidneys, only your memory. The only way you find out about it is if your memory starts going. Uh, if you're really young and your memory starts going off, that means there's either an infection in your kidney or something's bad with your kidney. Mm-hmm. What happened was uh, I had my kidney was starting. It was not working. Uh, none of it was working, and so uh, my <clears throat> ability to do anything depleted really quick, and my oxygen level started going down really quick as well. So then, you know, I'm over a person that, you know, I said, well, don't put me on anything. Don't put me on oxygen because I don't like it. It was so weird putting, being on oxygen. Like, Man, that's an awful feeling. Oh. awful feeling, you know. So then, it's not the same as breathing oxygen. It's like a higher concentration, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And not only that, but, like, you can eat. And normally, I'm a person that, like, you know, um, I go, I go to church and stuff, and I'm, I'm more of a go person, go to person. Like if there's any cookie tray, you, you know where to find me. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, I'm like that cookie monster. Um, <laughs> the cookie monster. <laughs> and so, so it's so odd that you know my and like the, I'm, so I had spent my birthday in the hospital, you know, and it's and it was so weird how people are like, well, you know, for your birthday, and you can say that you got wasted, or you know, I'm like, damn, that's a horrible experience having that kind of a birthday. I mean, no, that's and it was my twenty first birthday too. Um, that's yeah, it was pretty sad. Um, so I spent my twenty first birthday, and it was so sad because I'm like, you know what? But my drive to not give up, I said, you know what? I'm gonna fight, you know, because you know, just being surrounded by men and women of faith, just encouraging and prayers, that's what got me through the ups and downs. And the best part I have to say of being in Japan when you. When you can't understand a single thing of what nurses or doctors are saying, was I had an iPhone, you know, and an iPhone you can put the Japanese Bible, which I put on the Japanese Bible. I had no idea what was saying, um, but I remember when the nurse came in and said that Psalm 45. That just made me say, and that's one of the big key, that's one of the big key takeaways that I remember from being in Japanese hospital is that I was impacting, or God was impacting me, but through me, was on this un, unfortunate. God uses anybody at any time. You know, he can use, like, for example, he can use a cripple, and uh, he can use a lane to spread the gospel. It's not just, you don't have to you know, be wealthy rich to talk about Jesus. Yeah, that's true. So you, you come out of this, uh, you know, was it a gradual recovery, or did it just kind of, you know, one day, very rapid, you know, was, was there anything particular that happened, or just, you know, you said four months, so that's a yeah. while. Yeah, it, it was, I thought, you know, I thought in Japan, you know, before, I didn't want to leave Japan. You know, I didn't want to give up on the military. I didn't want to, I didn't want to give up now, you know. And so what happened was each day I would fight and I would say, you know what, I can stand up. I can do your basic necessity stuff. I can do all this basic stuff. But the problem was that my body wasn't, and I thought I could do it, but I was getting it off. And so it got to a point where, you know, normally Tokyo has one finest doctors in the world and the finest cardiologist and it got to a point where i wasn't and got to a point where i got so bad i spent about a month there where i went from 210 all the way to 129 uh weight weight loss it was the fastest weight program i've ever been on um <laughs> and so oh. so uh because of that um the air force didn't know what was happening and so they decided better back to back to the states, back to San Antonio, back to Brook Army Medical uh, Center, where I was then uh, evaluated. I spent uh, a couple more, actually a full month in there 
before I went to acute rehab facility to make sure that I could, you know, be nothing looks more affecting or something like that. Um, so what happened was because uh, I was at their programming medical center, we were going to choose for a acute rehab facility or it was a nurse. And I knew I didn't want to go to a nursing home and that's why I wanted to fight and I fought to stay in. And I said, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna just uh stay in the Air Force, so I'm gonna go to acute rehab facility. And that's where I went to select rehab or um to a rehab facility where I met a, two wonderful guys in San Antonio. And then I thought I was doing good, but then I was digressing backwards. And then I went back to Programming Medical Center where I spent about a month there or a couple of weeks there. Then I finally went to another acute, acute rehab facility called Select Rehab Facility. And through there, that's when I started, you know, 10 hours of rehab every single day, and except Sundays. Sundays were off, but like Monday through Saturday was rigorous. It was like we had speech therapy because I had to relearn how to speak properly. I had um, even about two hours of speech therapy, two hours of physical therapy. And the weirdest part was it was twice a day. That's what made it 10 hours. It was twice a day. And it was like, it was continually. So you didn't get time to do whatever you want. You know, it's not just like two hours. I'm like, oh, yeah, I wait for a couple more. Yeah, wait for at least some coffee for my next one. No, it was like all of the morning and then at night and then in the afternoon, it was all afternoon by reverse. Mm. So from there, from the acute rehab facility, I was able to relearn how to do everything. You learn how to like do your normal body, normal human stuff. You know, for example, going to the bathroom, taking a shower by yourself. And, just doing all that functionality, and therefore my body started getting, like, uh, started working back up again. You know, but I knew there was some uh, damages afterwards. You know, it's not just, you know, oh, when you're done, there was something afterwards. I feel that to this day. I see. So that's that's, that's unbelievable that <laughs> you went through that and you survived it. Um, so I guess so. This is kind of what launched you into your current ministry that you have going on and I, I think so, um, you know we can well, that's it. oh so long story short the cool part was and here's the cool blessing about it so once I got once I could start getting in my wheelchair and stuff and once I could start wheeling and I could walk slowly but like couldn't walk fully because I could walk with the walker and stuff and I could go wheel in the wheelchair that's when I would go to people's room and I would just pray with them you know and, I, and after all the guests left I would go to them and I would provide comfort and peace and Give them company and say, hey, you know what? This is what I'm going through. You know, like, and the and the weirdest part was I was one of the youngest ones in that acute rehab facility, and it was not just gloating, but this is a different point of life. That I said, you know what? How sad is it that people, the older generation, and even older people, really don't have families? You know, some of them didn't have family, and some of them didn't have that. And just seeing somebody come in in the room and just pray with them just made my day. And that's what kicked off is remember God loves you, and I'll be at the finish. And that's how, and this is I do this on Facebook daily. Um, try to keep it daily with the ministry as for the videos. Uh, just as long as it doesn't impact somebody's life, you know, God says we are meant to be disciples. You know, if I can impact one life, then I I did my job. You know, because the cool part is that when we cross that finish line, we're all going to hopefully hear Jesus say to us, "Well done, my good and faithful servant." Yeah. No. <laughs> Thank you very much. You know, it's really an incredible story that, you know, you're here. I mean, and you're still 
fairly young, right? You're 23. You know, you think this would all be one life story, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you hey, think... there are some, hey, there are some days where I feel like I'm an 80 year old. Yeah. Almost at death door. <laughs> no, bro, I know. Well, that's 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 just the uh, the COVID lethargic gene. Uh, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So the yeah, it, this is you know really important and. We're going to have you, we're definitely going to have you back. Uh, we're going to have a part two with this. And we're going to, we're going to talk to you a little bit more about uh, some of the other stuff you're involved in. Uh, you know, obviously, as, as somebody who comes from Russia, you know, you've got a lot of, you, you have a lot of interesting uh, perspectives and sources and resources to just a lot of the current events, but also you've worked on a lot of um, current issues outside of this. But we really wanted to today just uh, give you the time to sort of talk about who you are, your story. Um, the things you've created and, and all the stuff that you've done in really a short amount of time, which is, which is incredible. Cause, you know, a lot of times people hear 23 and they go, well, you 23 years. But again, you, you moved here when you were eight. So you've done all this in much less than 23 years. <laughs> you know, yeah. so a lot of opportunity. And it, and it seems like, you know, as we conclude, you know, as we conclude, I think it's important that, you know, God gives us so many different circumstances in our life. You know, there's a time and a moment. And, you know, I tell, I tell people continue. I said, you know, once you accept you, and the funny part was, I accepted Jesus Christ like a long time ago, but then a lot of people say, well, I accept how oh, I'm a Christian and stuff, you know, and, you know, I'm not the person to judge, but a lot of them say, like, you know, what, just because they're Christian doesn't mean it's going to be all roses and flowers and stuff. No, you're going to have trials and tribulations, and you're going to have those moments where you're at a foggy pinnacle point of your life where you're at questions, major questions. Something major almost happens to a young person, you know, and you're like, man, why is this happening to you? And it's that point where God's refining and reshaping, saying, oh, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna, you know, I'm helping you along, and I'm helping you along the journey. Because you know what the weirdest part was? The doctors to this very day don't really know what caused the paralysis. It just happened out of the blue. Hmm. That is the weirdest, and the question is still, and the doctors are still questioning. They're like, wow, this is what this might have could have happened to you. Might have happened to you, and that is the weird part. And I believe that was—I believe that was from God. You know, I know that might be cliche to say, but I believe it was from God saying, "You know what? I'm going to use this this traumatic thing in your life. I'm going to use it for the good and to affect other people's lives." Because you, you never know who you're going to reach or impact. You never know the people you're going to meet. And that's where we go on to the second part, where it's my life that I went through. And that's the God that puts us on our journey, and He relies us. He puts us in those journeys to say, you know what, it's good not to be comfortable because the moment we're comfortable is the moment that we tend to look back and we're like, man, I remember, I'm glad I'm not in that situation. Or I'm glad I'm, you know, <clears throat> I'm glad that, you know, I'm not in that person, I'm not that person anymore. While we're not looking forward to the path that God has set for us, and then we stumble over a stupid stick, and that stupid stick it leads into a big storm. And then it's our prideful and arrogance that says that. that we have to knock down and we have to have a heart of humility. Say, you know what, God, I need you to come into my life. And right there and then, God comes there and says, let me help you. Let's walk this journey together. That's exactly what I, I think you know, he does in a lot of people's lives. Obviously, you know, some people may feel that you know, I didn't have this, this huge event. Or I was you know, paralyzed for four months, but I think you hit the nail on the head that for a lot of people, it, it uses these traumatic times to uh, really improve people's faith, their, um, their character. Um, their patience, uh, you know, you can name a, you can name a trait, and, and it, it'll always come back later in life to help them. Mm -hmm. So, 
All right. So th- once again, we're going to have you back. We're definitely going to talk to you. We're going to definitely come come back. But you know, obviously, we wanted to just introduce you today and talk about your incredible life story. So we will we'll definitely have you back soon. And uh, and if anyone wants to follow me, I know. Like, yes, go ahead. Too. Yes. Yeah. So if anyone wants to follow like the journey, or if anyone wants to like listen to the daily podcast that I do on Facebook. Now, I, people say it's like daily videos, so I say it's a daily podcast. So I try to keep it daily, and I try to do it. But you're welcome to follow me on Facebook and even on Instagram, Sasquin uh, Chimenson uh, for Facebook, and then Sasquin underscore Chimenson for Instagram. And from there, and then you can just follow me along my journey. You can interact, and I'm very I get back to you at very very frequent. So you're welcome to follow me on there. And that's all I have to say uh, with regard to social media. Perfect. All right. Wonderful. So we will we will definitely continue with you. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, thank you again. Thank you so much, and have a blessed day. Thanks for listening. And if you have a comment, question, or rant, we'd love to hear it. Email us at bluestateconversations at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and find our articles on Medium. If you like this podcast, share it with a friend. No matter what state you're in, blue, red, or purple, there is always room at the table to discuss your views in a way that lets us all grow. 